Good evening, it's 8 o'clock in Yerushalayim. The parish is Vayechi. This parish is donated Lilui Dishmat Pinchas Ben Ruven Hakohen Zichron Olivraka. You know, sometimes you learn Chumash and you deal with words, with phrases, with ideas, that sometimes you look at the Chumash and we learn something because it's missing, something just not there. And in the case of the parasha Vayechi, this is a, a special opportunity to learn Torah because of what's missing. And I'll show you exactly what I mean. The last pasuk in the previous parashava, Yigash, Vayeshev Yisrael Be'eretz Mitzrayim, that's the last, last pasuk. B'nai Yisrael sat in Eretz Mitzrayim, they, they, they dwelled in Eretz Mitzrayim, Be'eretz Goshen, and then you have those words, they grabbed onto it, they held it, it was theirs. Right? And they became numerous, plenty, many of them, many of them. So it's almost like the Pasuk was to leave us with the idea that the reality of Am Yisrael was counterindicated against the reality that HaKadosh Baruch Hu pressed onto Abraham. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu said that the bracha, the blessing that Am Yisrael, that his descendants would receive, would be on the one hand the land of Israel, and the other hand, progeny, large, tremendous numbers of people who are children and grandchildren of Avram Avinu. And here, in in a manner that is kind of counterindicated, it's happening in Mitzrayim. It's happening here in Mitzrayim. Rashi says, Yisrael Mitzrayim." You see the Rashi, Hechan. Where did they, where were they? They were Beretz Goshen. Shehi Me'eretz Mitzrayim. As Rashi explains the Pasuk, it's like you're giving a, you're kind of identifying a place. So you have a, uh, a large identifier of Eretz Mitzrayim and then Beretz Goshen, right? The smaller, the smaller one. And then the next Pasuk, says and Yaakov himself who was old when he came to Mitzrayim he lived there for 17 years and all in all how long did he live Sheva Shanim Varbaim Umaatshana 147 years, right? His last 17 years of his life in, Mitz, in Mitzrayim. And all in all, he lived he lived for uh, 
he lived for 17 years of Mitzrayim, and Sacha Kol, 400. 100. How he lived all in all, 407 years. Four, 147. My aid is correct. 147 years, all in all. So we have in the first pasuk that I read, which is the last pasuk of the parasha of, of the previous parasha, right? We have like Am Yisrael flourishing, but in the manner that they should have been flourishing in Eretz Canaan, according to the bracha that Avram Avinu received. I mean, how could you ship the bracha from one place to another? But why did the pasuk say Vayechezuba? Rashi says Vayechezuba l'shon achuzah. I don't know what achuzah means. Either you hold on to it, or it's the word that describes the area of land that you own. Achuzah, something that is yours. Something's part of you. So what, what happened here? I mean, where are they? Where are they going to? Are they with the bracha or against the bracha? And then Rashi says about the next pasuk, Vayichi Yaakov, Rashi says this, Lama parsha zostuma. Lama parsha zostuma. Satum means stuffed up. Stuffed up, but obviously parsha is not going to be stuffed up. But what is the word? It's a technical word which refers to the fact that the end of the previous parsha, the words, Vayifru, Vayirbu, Vayod, are followed immediately by the words, Vayichi Yaakov, Beretz Mitzrayim. If you look at the Sefer Torah, those of you who happen to have a Sefer Torah, or if you have a kind of fancier Tanakh available to your Chumash, every Chumash indicates that there's really no space between the end of the previous parasha and the beginning of the next parasha. And and, you know, if you were in the third grade and you wrote two parashiyot like that on your machberet in your notebook, the teacher would mark it with an X because everybody knows that a new parasha deserves a new beginning. And the new beginning would be at least minimally a new paragraph. Remember we say in French, we used to say nouveau paragraph. Well, we did dictate. Nouveau paragraph. Why isn't there a paragraph here at the beginning of the parasha of Vayechi? That's what Rashi is saying. Vayechi Yaakov. Look at Rashi. Lava parasha zostuma. Stuma means there's no space in the Torah between the end of the previous parasha and the beginning of the next parasha. So Rashi says, look, I know it's only orthographic, I know it's not a word that we're talking about, but there's got to be something here that the Torah wants me to know. So Rashi answers the question. When Yaakov Avinu dies, I mean, that's, he didn't die yet in this pasuk, but he's going to die shortly in the story of the last parasha of Breshit. Since Yaakov Avinu died, 
So Rashi says, Rashi says this, since Yaakov Avinu is about to die, they're going to be missing something because they're missing already. They're missing something because we're, we're, we're in the death throes of Yaakov Avinu. He may not be dead, but he's almost dead. He's on his way to being dead. He became the representative of the dead. He's going to die. He has died. He's almost died. His thoughts are on his death. It's all the Yaakov Avinu of death. Their eyes and their hearts became stuffed up was they couldn't see so well and they couldn't feel so well. So against the last pasuk in the previous parasha, Rashi says the Shiabud, the enslavement of Bnei Yisrael had already started. You know, you know how it starts. There's a rule about where you could stand, another rule about what you can buy, another rule about where you have to be. I mean, those are rules that indicate the beginning of Shiabud. It's true that the Melech Hadash, that the new king came upon Egypt and caused a lot of difficulty, but it's also true that it was happening already, according to Rashi. It was happening even though on the outside it looked like the Jews never had it better. They were they were eating and 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 living, they were living a Jewish life, so to speak. They were and they were having many children and sending them all to school and dressing them up with fancy dresses. All of that is true. So Rashi says this. He said something funny in these two psukim that I mentioned, the last pasuk in the previous parasha and the first pasuk of the present parasha, which is called Chaye Sarah. Which is called... Uh, 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 what? Which is called Vayechi. It's called Vayechi. The last, the last pasukim in the previous parsha, the first pasuk of this parsha, there's something secretive here. There's something wrong with the way the Torah was printed. And that wrong is called stuma. The parashiyot are stuck together. They're not divided up as they should be. So Rashi says, why is that? So we should think of the word stuma. We should think of that word, that word that means things are stuffed up. And what in particular was stuffed up? Their eyes and their, their hearts were stuffed up. Because the slavery of Am Yisrael had begun. Rashi doesn't tell us how it began. Rashi is confident to tell us that when it finally happened, right in the beginning of Shemot, the next book of the Torah, when it finally happened that the, that there were new edicts about slavery, that the Jews were 
found themselves to be stuck where they were in the land of Goshen. Yes, they wanted to go there, but when things changed and it became worse, they found themselves an easy target. They were all together. They were all in the same place. They were all doing what they were doing. So Rashi says, Rashi says, the idea, if I look at these two psukim, I say the word nistemal, was stuffed up. But what was stuffed up exactly? It's a hint to tell us that nistemu e'nehem v'libam shal Yisrael it's already happening. That's the first interpretation of Rashi. There's another interpretation. Yaakov wanted to tell them what will be. He knew, I would say, Yaakov knew that the situation would be terrible, that it would be very bad, that the slavery would be difficult to deal with. Difficult. So Yaakov thought, if I could just give them that confidence that it's terrible as it will be, it will come to an end. When it comes to an end, B'nai Israel will be reconstituted. They'll be able to come to Har Sinai and get the Torah. I mean, that's what... Yaakov wanted to tell them. He wanted to tell them about the end of days, when everything will be as it should be. The same word, so that word brings us to this idea that there are two notions there are two notions that are implied by the way the Torah is written in this particular place. The first one is this Yisrael, that the Jews didn't know what was going on. And the other thing is that Yaakov didn't know what was going on. Suddenly Yaakov didn't know what he knew all the time. And this brings us necessarily to that question that people ask. Yosef was Yosef in Mitzrayim for 22 years. How come he didn't send the postcard? How come he didn't communicate? I mean, he was the king of the world. I always like to say that. He, Yosef, was the king of the world. The whole world was coming to him to ask for food, to buy it, to trade it, to, to exchange for food, to, to barter, anything. Anything, even the people of Egypt gave up all their property in favor of the king of Egypt, represented by, by Yosef. Why didn't he write a postcard? Why didn't he make a call? Why didn't he, why didn't he do something to recognize the future? Why didn't he do that? Before we get to try to answer that question, let's look at another pasuk. Let's look at another pasuk. 
the first pasuk in the book of Vayikra. Just to change the feeling that we have about things. That pasuk says, Vayikra Moshe, Vayidaber Hashem Elav, Me'ol Mo'ed Le'mor. So I have to tell you about this pasuk also. This is an orthographic issue. The Aleph of the word Vayikra, they try to do it here in this text, but I'm not sure you could tell. The Aleph is printed smaller than the other letters of the word Vayikra. And if you look in a Sefer Torah, open it up to Vayikra, you'll see quite clearly that the Aleph is written smaller than the other letters. I don't know if this means anything necessarily, but Rashi usually refers to orthographic variations as a way of reminding us that there's a hidden meaning here. There's another meaning. And the problem of this pasuk at the beginning, the first problem of the pasuk <coughs> is that it says, Vaikrao Moshe, Vaikrao Moshe. Why say Vaidaber Hashem Elab? I mean, he just said Vaikrao Moshe. The pasuk should have said, Vaidaber Hashem Elab, Meobo Eid Why do we need the, both of these? Why do we need both? Vayikra el Moshe Rashi says, all the powerful statements, the brot, anytime the statement of God is preceded by the verb Aleph Memresh, Amirot, commands Kadma Kriya. It always says, Vayikra el Moshe. Because Vayikra is Lashon Chiba. Why would I say, why would you say, perhaps, why is it Lashon Chiba? The language or the, the language you use when you're expressing affection, because Vayikra means come close. Vayikra <coughs> Moshe. Moshe. I mean, why do you call Moshe? Because you want his attention, you want him to come close and listen. So Rashi says, the called Dibrot, the called Mirot, the called Tzibuyim, everything God says to Moshe about Rabbeinu, Kadma Kriya, Lishon Chipa, that's affection. Lechol, and then furthermore, besides the fact that it's the Lashon of affection in general, Lishon Shemalachea Sharet Mishnam Shimba, we also know that the angels in heaven use that verb, Vayikra, Shinemar, Vikara We say it in davening every day. Vikara Amar, the angels, the Ofanim, Vikayot HaKodesh. Vikara Ze I mean, it's not only the language of coming close, but it's the language that was chosen by the Malachim when they are praising God. Rashi continues, when it comes to the prophets of the other nations of the world, Negle'a lehem v'lishon arai v'tumah. 
Lashon Arei Vituma, Arei be something that is accidental, and Tuma something that is unacceptable. Shneemar, Vaikar Elohim Bilam. That when when God spoke to Bilam, Vaikar, Vaikar means Vaikra missing an Aleph at the end. So that even though Rashi doesn't mention the Aleph, that the Aleph is different, the Aleph is smaller, you'd see it. I think if you look at it for a while, you'll see that the Aleph in this printed edition of the Pasuk is smaller than the other letters of the Pasuk. Okay. So now we understand the Pasuk, Vaikral Moshe. God said to Moshe, come closer. That was Chiba. That was not content. That was just an attempt to explain to us who is talking to whom. And the, the actual conversation begins by That's the beginning of the conversation. Let's continue in Rashi. Vaikrael Moshe, Akol Olehu Magia El Magia Laoznam, a different interpretation of Vaikrael Moshe. That there's something special. The call, the voice that was the voice, as Rabbah says it was the created voice, not the voice of God in the sense that God has a feature called voice. But the created voice came closer and closer to his ears. And the Jews who were in the camp, in that camp around the Oel Moed, they, they didn't hear anything. So the Medrash of Yechol is like a Medrashic uh, introduction to a statement. Could it be Af that God called out to Moshe Rabbeinu and said, Af even for the times that Moshe Rabbeinu stopped, stopped learning, stopped listening, that God called on Moshe Rabbeinu in order that he should be able to hear what was going to be said. Not for the hapsakot. Hapsik is to stop something. Stop something in the middle, but the, the Rashi himself explains it. Mahayu hapsakot mishamshot. Why do we need Hapsakot? I mean, God could just speak to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu would understand. What a Hapsakot? Why do you need intermissions? What were they for? Litain Revach, Le Moshe, Litvardain, Ben Parasha, Le Parasha. That's what Rashi says. Litain Rebach Lemoshe Litmonain to look into 
to think about, to try to understand, Bain parasha le parasha. Bain parasha bain inyan le inyan, between one matter and another matter. Kalvachover le hediot halomeid min ha hediot. Who's the hediot? What is a hediot? A hediot is a simple one, the non professional ones. There's a Kohen Gadol and there's a Kohen Hediot. There's a Kohen Gadol, he's special. There's a Kohen Hediot, that's all the other Kohanim are called Hediot. So, Bein Inyan Leinyan, Kalvachomer, Kalvachomer, quoting a Medrash, Kalvachomer, what? Lehediot, Olobeid Bin Hediot. Who's the Hediot? Me. I'm the Hediot. So that when I learn with my Chavruta, when we learn something, we have to organize Hapsakot. You have to stop. And you have to think. What is it that you learned? And what do you understand? And what is it especially that you can add on? What we call Chidush. What novel idea did you come up with? What important insight are you, are you dealing with? Right? Litain Revach Litain Revach again backwards. Litain Revach Lemoshe Litbonain Bain Parsha Lit Parsha Bain Inyan Le Inyan. Even Moshe Rabbeinu, who's learning Torah with the Ribona Shalom. If you can imagine this thing, Moshe Rabbeinu is supposed to say, Excuse me for me, I gotta think of that. It's really terrific. But in the sense that Moshe Rabbeinu set the stage for Talmud Torah, it's important that we understand that Talmud Torah is not the transfer of information from somebody who knows everything to somebody who knows nothing. But Talmud Torah is the attempt to clarify, to restate it in words that you understand. To be able to present it in the way which could be classified as a chidush. As a chidush. And what is it that we know that from? Hapsakot. What are hapsakot according to what, what are we talking about? What are the hapsakot? Ben parasha le parasha, ben inyan le inyan. So if you look in the Chumash, if you open up a Sefer Torah that's in Shul, right? Like a regular Sefer Torah, you'll see that the Torah is divided up into paragraphs, sometimes longer ones, sometimes shorter ones. And what are those paragraphs for? What are those paragraphs for? to give you a chance? Here's a point where you have to think. Here's a point in which you have to reconsider. Here's a point where there's an issue that has not been resolved. That's what the paragraphs are about. And of course, we carry that on. We carry that on. We, 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 we don't have to be in the world. You shouldn't live in a world where we're embarrassed to admit that we don't understand. We're not in that world. Not in the world of. Not in the world where they, the printers have decided that everything is clear, everything is obvious, everything is known. And all they have to do is learn that, you know, what they printed. It seems to me that what Rashi is saying is that in the essential Talmud Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu did, 
Moshe Rabbeinu learning Torah with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I mean, you can imagine anything more significant than that. It's something that could have been, I mean, it could have been something that stymied Judaism. You could have said, okay, as long as Moshe Rabbeinu, as long as they're learning together, Harusa, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Moshe Rabbeinu, okay, we'll listen. But what happens when that comes to an end? What happens when it comes to an end when that kind of Torah learning doesn't exist anymore? So Rashi says to us, Vayikra el Moshe. HaKadosh wants to learn with Moshe Rabbeinu. So there's Chiba. According to Rashi, Chiba means come close. It's something I want. Something we could do together. We do together. Chiba. And the other thing is Hafsakot. Hafsakot is that Moshe Rabbeinu says, I've got to think it over. I've got to understand it better. I, 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 it's not true that everything that God tells me is automatically part of my library of understanding. And that's us. That's all of us. That's all of us. So this idea, this idea that the chidush, that being aware of the novel idea that you yourself come up with, being aware of the greater interpretation and understanding of what's going on, that's that's really what Talmud Torah is, and that's what enables the Torah to live. Otherwise, if people weren't learning that way, if people weren't trying to understand things in a better way, it all, if all of those possibilities did not exist, then the Torah would quickly become unmoded, outmoded, unnecessary, unclear, un, uninteresting. It's only that kind of involvement that Moshe Rabbeinu had, right? That kind of involvement that he got because of the Hapsakot, because of the paragraphs, because there was an indication in the in the Torah that's written down on the on the parchment in the safe in the in the synagogue. That safe Torah written down and placed in the ark in the synagogue has paragraphs. And those paragraphs tell me you can breathe. Think about it. Don't rush. Think about what's going on just as Moshe Rabbeinu was able to think about what was going on. And remember, it's not only for the people who are designated. I was going to say designated hitters. But I don't mean that. I mean, the people who are designated to be really very clever and very knowledgeable. They're not the head yot, men head yot. That's us. That's us. We have to give ourselves a chance. We give, have to give ourselves a chance to learn the text and learn the hafsakot, to learn the breaks in the text. And so, so look up Rashi in our parasha, the parasha of Vayechi. And Rashi says, 
you know, there's no break. There's no paragraph. I mean, we know. I mean, of course, we know it from Vayikra. You might find that a little bit strange, but, you know, sometimes there's no former and latter in the Torah. Like, it goes together. So we know from the from the Pasuk in Vayikra that you need those hapsakot. You need those dividers. The dividers are what enable us to rethink matters, to look into them more carefully, those dividers. So again, look at Rashi. Rabbi Yaakov. Lama parashazo stuva. So we reinterpret Rashi. We say what Rashi is asking is, you know, I know there's something here. I know there's something I'm supposed to think about. Why is it that the Torah stuffed it up? Why did it take away that divider that I need? It's I need it right now to tell me who was Yaakov and what was his connection to his children and why didn't Yosef try to contact him during the 22 years that he was in Egypt? And why is it that Yaakov was so interested in being buried in Eretz Canaan? Why and why and why and why? For that, I need that that space. I need that hafsaka before Vayichi Yaakov, and I don't have it. And Rashi says, Lama that's what he's talking about. They're just talking about, it's a reminder, it's a way of thinking about something. He says, there's something missing. Lefi, I'm reading the Rashi. Shekevan sheniftar Yaakov Avinu, since Yaakov Avinu was dying had died effectively, even though we still had a few things to do. Nistemu einehem velibam shel Yisrael mitzarat ha-shiabud shethilu l'shabdam. So Rashi uses the word nistemu to say that they were not able to see the reality. They were not able to understand what was going on. It was the only way, the only way that they could peacefully go into the slavery that was promised to Avram Avinu by Kodesh Mohammed, they're going to be slaves. The only way that could happen is if they didn't understand or see or know what was going on. Because if, if they were regular, they would have understood. They would have done something. They would have tried to escape. They would have lost out on the positive aspect of their continued history. They wouldn't have known they were they were blind. They were blinded in 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 Egypt. They thought they were in a different situation. They thought they were they were Be'eretz Goshaviyechazuba. They held on to something. They were that the, the bracha was taking place right there. All of that was happening in Eretz Mitzrayim. It was happening in Eretz Mitzrayim because Nistima, because they didn't understand. Davar 
Rashi says, Shebikesh legalot et haketz, levanav v'nistam mimenu. That even Yaakov, who is surely a prophet and might have understood what happened to Yosef, but didn't. I mean, the, the evidence in the Chumash is that Yaakov didn't know what happened. He thought maybe he wasn't dead, but he didn't know what happened to him. In order to make the slavery less oppressive, more part of the daily regimen in a kind of positive way, to tell the people what would be. And that would be a kind of way of, <coughs> of making sure that they understood that God was with them and that the future was, their future was secure. So again, Nistam. So the answer, the answer to the question is that it was, it had to happen. And so it was arranged in heaven. And if the arrangement in heaven included that the people didn't lose their capacity to understand and that Yaakov lost his capacity to prophesy, so be it. The promise had to be fulfilled. The promise had to be fulfilled and that's the lesson of the Nistema, the lesson of the Nistema. I wanted to we have a, a few minutes. Wanted to just <coughs> look at a short piece of the Shemeshvur. Shemeshvur is the 20th century. You see that? He says, I'd like to explain why this parish is called Stuma. The simple, direct explanation. You see that? Why was it that that there's a space in between one parasha and another parasha in the Torah? Answer, in order to encourage you to think about it, to get into it, right? And he says, so we understand from this that exile, the exile from Eretz Canaan is what caused this nistam, this stuffed up situation. And, and the people in this diaspora are not able to really look carefully at things. The enemy spread out his arms on all those that were beloved. Beloved, remember to love by Yisrael, Moshe. Therefore, the Torah has to be musteret 
שלא תהיה לסיטרא אחרא אחת ושלום יניקה ממנה. So what I wanted to say was, I'll just look at this at this uh, Shemesh Fool. What I want to say is that Shemesh Fool says, he takes it one step further. He says, okay, I get the idea. I know what Rashi said. I know what the Medrash said. I know that it's important to look carefully, but why is it Nistar? Why does it have to be hidden? Why can't we sort of just say it? Why don't we just say it? The, the Yetzirah or whatever title you like to give this inclination that we have to mess things up. Because if you put the enemy, the Sitra Akra is looking for the enemy, according to Shane Mishmuel. And the enemy is that we're going to learn Torah and, and, and be creative about the Torah that we learn. That's the enemy for him. So he'll try to stop it. And that's why the idea was hidden away, <coughs> not hidden from us. The people who learn the Torah, the people who go to Shul and Shabbos and hear the Kriyata Torah, the people who know that this is a fact that the end of the last parasha, the beginning of the parasha Ba'ichi, are stuck together. For us, it's not a secret anymore. But for the Sitra Achra, according to the way uh, the Shemesh Shmuel understands it, there is. But the Shemesh Shmuel is dealing with the question of, okay, but why is it hidden? Hidden? He says, well, you know, we have our own problems. We don't always get it right. There's certain things that you can't just talk about so easily. That's the shame. That's the shame. Well, so that uh, to a thousand years after Rashi, the shame Mishmuel said we need a little improvement. Let's improve the Rashi. It's not enough that Rashi has discovered it. Well, we have to understand that it remains hidden for a good reason. It remains hidden for a good reason. Have a good Shabbos. All the best to you.